take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean, and this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on a relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach you what you can do to create the relationship you've always dreamed of with the partner you fell in love with. On today's episode, we welcome Joanna White. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Joanna. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about finances. Mm Mm-hmm. Specifically, when it comes to couples going through every day's challenges today. You know, I think a lot of people are afraid of money. You know, they're afraid of, do I have enough? Where do I start? Where, how do I invest? How do I buy a home? How do I, what, what is all this stuff, right? And so what we tend to do with stuff that we don't r- really know about is we avoid it. Absolutely, right. And all the people that I've worked with that thought about buying a home, I always encourage them, go talk to a broker, let them look at your finances. They can tell you what makes sense or doesn't make sense. You know, sometimes it makes sense to pay something off. Sometimes it makes sense to not and have the cash and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's what we want to focus on today is what are the best practices that people or some things people should consider. So can you start by telling us um, how old are you, what you do for a living and something interesting about yourself. Uh, I am 43 years old. I've been originating home loans for 18 years. So basically, I'm the person you call when you want to start looking for homes. I take care of pulling your credit, running numbers, options, and getting you pre-approved. I'm the person that's going to get your loan into the processing center, and then my processor will work on it to get you to the closing table and obviously fund so you're a homeowner. Uh, something interesting about me is, oh, well, my daughter smothered Brian Erlacher in ketchup at the Fort Myers airport when she was two years old, except I didn't realize it was Brian Erlacher until he stood up while I was trying to offer to buy him a t-shirt since he smothered in ketchup. Oh my gosh. That is a <laughs> great <awesome>. story. <laughs> and, and for those I, that are listening, you know, to our podcast all around the world, uh, Brian Erlacher is an awesome former Chicago Bears player. Absolutely awesome. And uh, if you don't know his career, look him up because (laughs) he's on every billboard right now in Chicago too. (laughs) Right on 90, see him all the time. Just with with hair now. Right, right. So let's start with when should someone contact you if they know nothing about buying a home and their finances, do they have to be ready or should they contact you sooner? No, actually what you said at the beginning is so true. And so many different real estate agents that I go into offices and I speak in front of, 
I try to educate them so they can educate their customers. You know, you don't have to be ready to buy right now. You could be ready to buy in a year. I'll give you an example. I received a referral on Sunday night from an agent, and she asked that I contact her customers on Wednesday. She said um, she's home from the hospital Wednesday. Please call her, run her numbers. I ran her numbers and everything yesterday. I spoke to the client. She's actually not going to buy for another two years, but she wanted to prepare herself, look at you know the debt-to-income ratios, look at her student loans, and exactly like you said, look to see what should be paid off, what shouldn't be, so her not only her mortgage payment is where she wants it to be, but overall her monthly expenditures are where she can still live her life comfortably. She can still travel when we're not on social distancing in a stay-at-home order. <laughs> <laughs> and she still wants to be able to live her life, but she wants to be able to own something. She wants to be able to invest in something and not continue to pay rent for somebody else to have a property that's gaining appreciation and they have tax deductions and she doesn't. But that's, you know, perfect thing. She called now only because she was wondering what's going to happen, you know, and in the future. And we ran numbers and stuff and we've determined in about two years she's going to put herself in the position based on where her finances are right now to buy and be in a place where she wants to be. But I always tell everyone, if you're just having thoughts about it, it doesn't hurt to call and ask. A lot of people that I pre-approved November, December, January, they're currently under contract now, you know, but we ran numbers, you know, sometimes people don't even realize what's on their credit. You know, I had one girl I pre-approved last summer and, you know, she, when I'm talking to her on the phone, I'm running her numbers, you know, salary, you know, no, you know, good income, no debt. She has money in the bank. We're going to work with um, the IDA program, which is, you know, for the state of Illinois, we're going to get her some money from the state to help her have a bigger down payment. So we're doing everything. I go to pull her credit and she actually has a collection from the Joint Institute, which would make sense, except she's on a payment plan with the Joint Institute and she's always been on one. That collection is an error, but not only was it an error, but it's dramatically dropped her credit score. If we didn't know that in advance, we couldn't fix it. And then she would end up either, you know, trying to buy a home and then she can't because her credit score got killed. It all depends, you know, those type of things when somebody has, you know, a lot of established credit and a very long credit history, one little collection, you know, for $55 a month from the Joint Institute isn't gonna tobacco your credit. But if you've never had student loans you had a small car payment and all you have is a credit card, that's a big collection to get hit, you know, with a payment now. So we were able to work it out. And then a month later, her credit was back where it was supposed to be because we had her credit score reversed because that collection was actually a mistake. It was not real because she was making payments from the beginning. And she was able to purchase a home at, with the rate that she should have had versus how low her credit was when she originally called me just to have her numbers run. Joanna, you mentioned the shelter-in-place order that we are all under right now. Are you seeing any adjustments or changes in your industry uh, due to this, this crisis that's going on right now? Yes, there are extensive changes. Um, immediately, um, as of, well, immediately, we had to start re-verifying extra paperwork and extra things on everyone. Normally, we do a verification of employment right when your loan goes into processing. And we always just call back the employer to make sure you're still employed before closing. But immediately when this happened and nobody's at work, we can't reach the HR department because they're not there. 
So now we started immediately having to contact customers and be like, who works in your HR? Can we get an email? Can we get a phone number? Because now we are calling people on their own lines. HR departments aren't off of people's cell phones. They actually have a real line at the company that they work. So there's a lot of that being done behind the scenes. A lot of investors, such as, um, you know, we have different companies that we price through because even though we approve our own loans, we fund them in our name. They get sold off after the closing. A lot of them started pulling out that they no longer want any loans right now coming to them for servicing. They already service a big portfolio and they, ju they just want to hold off on any current loans until they see what happens. Some of the big jumbo investors like Wells Fargo, for example, huge company, huge servicer. Um, they no longer want any jumbo loans, jumbo meaning a loan amount of 500, 10,000, 400 and higher. So, you know, you bought an $800,000 home, put down 20%, you would be having a jumbo loan. They no longer want any correspondent lenders or brokers sending jumbo loans to them. So you can call them directly for a loan, but they no longer want them coming from anyone. We're still able to do jumbo loans. It's just a lot of fewer investors want them right now, just with all the uncertainty in the market. Can we go back and talk about uh, debt ratio or whatever yes. the term is? Um, what type of debt is included in that ratio? And, you know, to give people an idea of what their debt ratio is. Yeah, that's actually a really good question that I go over with a lot of people. Um, so everything we include in your debt to income ratio is everything that pulls on your credit report. Okay. So let me give you on, you know, the simplest numbers I always tell everyone. If you take your, we always use gross earnings if you're a W-2 employee. So I'm not going to get into self-employed and 1099 and everything else. Just a W-2 employee, you're a salaried person at a company. Your gross salary divided by 12. That's your income. Okay. So let's say you make $36,000 a year, $3,000 a month is your gross. If the new mortgage payment with taxes, insurance, maybe PMI, maybe not, maybe homeowners association dues, plus your car payment and anything that's on your credit, which I will go over how what reports there. If all of that added up to $1,500 monthly, the new mortgage payment plus everything on your credit, divided into the $3,000, you'd be at a 50% debt to income ratio. You are not going to qualify at that. Perhaps FHA with compensating factors because you have perfect credit and maybe you have some extra money in the bank, they will exceed guidelines a little further, but your standard is 43%. With that being said, a lot of things that people don't take into account, even if you're making $10,000 a month, is we're only looking at what's on credit. So it's your car payment, your minimum credit card debt. So even if you have a $5,000 credit card, but your monthly payment's only $128, we're only taking into account $128. The things that are not included in that debt to income ratios that everyone has to think about, especially a first time home buyer who maybe hasn't ever owned a home and doesn't realize all the expenses that go into that monthly payment, you know, your car insurance, your cell phone, Comed, Comcast, NICOR, the water bill. Maybe you park at the train station every month. Maybe you need a train pass. You know, all that is not included in your monthly debt to income ratios. Um, let's not forget when people have kids and now they're working, both people are working full time. You either need a nanny or you're taking them to a daycare. That's also not included in what the lender uses for their debt to income ratios, but that's something you need to consider to make sure that you, when you buy this home and you're making these monthly payments, you're actually comfortable with them. And we're not putting you in a position where now you're gonna incur a lot of credit card debt 
to be able to offset your monthly expenses and paying for groceries and paying for other things. You know, in today's day and age, there are a lot of people that are being laid off and furloughed and, you know, it's a it's a very strange time. I was wondering, you know, how that affects what it is that you're doing. Yes. So another great question right now that I haven't had to really deal with ever before at this level because of how many million Americans are currently either laid off or furloughed. You cannot get a mortgage if you're on unemployment because we don't know if you're getting that job bag back or not. So I've been telling that to people up front. Now, that doesn't mean I can't run your numbers like, hey, you know what? I've been working you know, at Abbott or I've been working at Zurich. I've been working in this and this company. They let our entire department go. But this is what I was making. This is what I've been making. When, we, when I have a track record of what you've been making, we kind of know how to run numbers. I can still pull credit. I can assume based on a $40,000 a year income or on $128,000 income, what your payments could be. Now, that means you can't buy right now, but as soon as you go back to work, whether it's an offer letter and you're starting back at work on June 1st, or you go back to your regular position, we can approve you and start the mortgage. Now, if they're going to change some of these guidelines, you know, going forward, I don't know, because currently, you know, prior to the COVID-19 crisis, if I had somebody who just graduated college, a lot of times the kids thought, well, I can't buy right now. I just graduated. I have no work history. We actually use your education as a history. Mm -hmm. And as long as I have an offer letter, not subject to anything, I can use that income to qualify you for a mortgage. So if you graduated college in May and you have an offer letter starting July 1st, I can issue you a pre-approval. You can go under contract and close in June, even though you're not starting till July 1st. We'll verify with that employer that you are, in fact, starting July 1st. We're going to want to see a signed offer letter that's not subject to anything. It can't be, you know, this person's subject to passing this test or they're subject to a drug. It can be subject to nothing. This is your guaranteed salary and you're starting January, you know, July 1st. We can close you in June, you know, but that's again, I'm always referring to the W-2 income because if you're 1099 or you're self-employed, we have to have a two-year history because we don't know what you're going to make on your own. We don't know what kind of income you're going to be able to generate for yourself. I'm sure everybody knows people who are self-employed or own their own businesses or, you know, people who are real estate agents, loan officers, 100 percent commission people. Everyone makes a different income. We can't just assume you're going to be the average of your office. So that we have to actually have a past history of. So you couldn't graduate college and go into a 100 percent commission job and get a mortgage. We need a two year history history on that. I, I'm sure it's much more complicated now with all of the small businesses that are applying for the SBA loans, you know, to kind of help their businesses stay afloat and everything. It, you know, all of us are kind of in the same boat, you know, being self-employed. It's, a, it's oh, yeah. a complicated issue just off the bat. Yeah, You know, I was going to ask you a question about couples who are younger. Um, are you seeing any trends when it comes to couples who are younger and, and buying homes? You know, one of the reasons that we're asking that question is that we we have started seeing younger couples that are not married still cohabitate, still have assets together, buy homes together, you know, and I was just wondering if you're seeing the same thing. Yes, I actually see quite a bit of it. So I see it on both ends. Younger couples who've gotten married and they're, you know, purchasing their first home together um, other times, you know, they each already own their own places. They're selling and, you know, merging their money together. Uh, nowadays, I and the reason I say nowadays is when I started doing this 18 years ago, 
it was a lot different than today. Today, you see the couples like, you know, she's putting in 25,000, he's putting in 25,000, you know, in their mind, everything is being split. Back in the day, everybody merged their accounts, merged everything kind of paid together. I'm seeing a lot, you know, that swing is definitely a little different. The one thing that is still staying the same, whether they're getting married or they're just younger and cohabitating, everybody still wants to be able to own where they live. They still want to be able to call a place their home. They still want to be able to redecorate, remodel, repaint, and do whatever they want and not be limited. Or, you know, I'm renting this place for a year. I don't know if I'm going to renew or if the person that I'm renting from is going to sell next year. So a big thing I am seeing is couples' assets are not merged. Um, everyone's kind of going in, buying, um, you know, using their own funds. Now, whether they end up getting married or not, I've had, you know, both situations. You know, I've had a lot of different varieties, you know. I've done mortgages for couples for a couple of years. They always said they're not getting married. And one year they call me, they're already married and they're ready to upgrade, you know, so it really varies. But I'm definitely seeing a bigger trend towards people keeping their, you know, their assets separate, their own separate 401ks, their separate investment accounts, separate checking and savings. And, you know, a lot of them end up having a mutual account that they each deposit directly from their payroll to pay the mortgage and the household expenses, which I think probably prevents a lot of problems for some people, anyone feeling that one person is covering too much, especially when you're younger and starting out. Can you talk about um, some of the government programs that help first-time buyers or people that might have some other special situations to help them buy a home? Of course. So there's a lot of different options available. And I'll give you guys just, you know, a general idea on some of them, just so people know there are things available for them. But I always tell everyone, contact a loan officer, whether it's myself or somebody you may know, because the only way to truly know what you will qualify for is for somebody to pull your credit and review your income. The IDA program, for instance, per county and how many people are in a household, there's a maximum income limit. So if right away you tell me you make 60000 your spouse makes 60000 you can't get that program. That program, for instance, currently as it is, because last year there were different options, there's a $10,000 option that you will receive from them. You'll be paying it back at $83.33 a month. Um, it's fantastic for somebody who maybe has good credit, has been working at paying down their debt. They just don't have a lot of money of their own to be able to take care of the down payment and the closing cost to be able to buy. That program's fantastic. I locked in someone yesterday on an FHA, FHA is uh, minimum down, three and a half percent, and they're getting a three percent interest rate. Three percent FHA, three and a half percent down. They're getting ten thousand dollars from Ida, and on top of it, the agent negotiated a five thousand dollar closing cost credit. The customers only have to have one percent into the into the transaction of their own funds. So this particular home was $235,000 in Palatine. 1%, $2,300 they have to have into the deal. That's it. That's they amazing, will be buying. Mm -hmm. Especially it, right now at 3%. Is, right? is, that, <laughs> is that because of what is happening right now? Is that a typical type of deal? No, so IDA itself has been around for a while. They used to have a free $7,500 as long as you qualified. Now, there are minimum credit score requirements, so you can't have a 620 credit score and get money from them. So um, as long as you have a 660 credit score and, you know, your income doesn't exceed their guidelines, you can get this money from them. And they have, you know, 4%, 5%, up to 10,000. So they have three different programs that they currently have available. Um, 
in Illinois and the different counties, you know, offer different things, but it's a absolutely fantastic program. I, I mean, anyone who's income, like as soon as I'm getting a pre-approval and I check their income, I'm like, uh, you may want to do this. It's 3%, you wow, know, and you're fantastic. not, yeah. And normally interest rates, the big factor with interest rate is, you know, you need a 740 or higher credit score to receive premium pricing. Then the next dip is 720 to 740, you know, and it keeps going down, down, down. So somebody with a 672 credit score on regular interest rates today on a 235 purchase, three and a half percent down, you know, they're going to be closer to four. And um, if it's a conventional loan, they'll be over four percent. But on the IDA program, three percent yesterday, I locked them in. And I'm giving that as an example because the client has a 672 credit score. And without this money in the seller closing cost credit, they would not be in a position to buy. Are these first-time buyers that we're talking about? Yes, these are first-time home buyers, but there are programs available where you do not have to be a first-time home buyer. I always tell everyone it's just best to reach out and have your numbers run to ensure that, you know, because a lot of times people come to me and say, hey, you know, I saw this on the internet. You know, I did this search and, you know, they're really adamant about a particular program because they've done their due diligence. They've done their research. Unfortunately, they don't qualify for it. And then it's almost like this huge disappointment. But I'm like, but wait, you know, we can still do 3% down conventional. We can get you a seller closing cost credit. You already have this much money. And, you know, you're going to have two more paychecks and you live at home. You'll be fine. And they're like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. You know, there's different ways, but you have to just like, I, you know, whether it's an attorney or whether it's an accountant for tax purposes, you always have to talk to the experts because there, if there's a way we can make it work for you, we will. Can you talk about, if, is there any uh, particular rules about people going through divorce and how, how that works? <laughs> yes. Um, so when you're going through a divorce, it's a very, very uh, sensitive time, obviously, uh, for starters. But the big thing is, um, let me give an example. Um, you and your husband are married. You have two kids. You've been a stay-at-home mom. Chances are, if you're not going back to employment, a part of the divorce, depending on how long you've been married, there's going to be alimony or maintenance involved to help you, you know, to pay you monthly because you don't have an income coming in. In addition, there also be child support. So two people getting divorced, I cannot do a mortgage for someone who doesn't have income coming in until not only are you divorced, it's like signed, stamped, done in court, but we have six months proof that you've actually received the maintenance and or child support. We know, I'm sure we all know plenty of people who've been divorced and who have an ex-spouse who does not pay any child support. You know, so we can't just assume that the person's gonna, gonna have the money. But there's a lot of times where both couples work both couples, you know, have money, but, you know, they're getting divorced. They both want to get out of the house that they're in. So then then that part is easier because I can qualify each person on their own. And a lot of times I've handled the mortgages for both parties to make it a lot simpler because one bank, one underwriter is covering both. So we're not worried. I'm not worried about him paying her or him, her paying him if we know how the divorce is going. But for the most part, Divorces are not only a sensitive subject for the couples that are involved, but is more difficult getting a mortgage. Because if you're going to be required to pay maintenance or child support, we have to be able to hit you for a payment and know that you qualify. And we don't know what to hit you for. And we can't just make up random numbers. That's why I always tell people, um, talk to somebody first before you think that you can do 
um, because I had a customer once call me. She's like, my house is under contract. We're selling it. You know, my husband's already moved out. He's living in an apartment. I'm looking to buy. And I'm like, uh, no. And she couldn't buy because she was actually going to be the one who needed to pay him. We had no way to qualify. So there's a lot of times I always say, you know, reach out and figure it out. Divorce times does make it difficult. In an ideal situation, you get divorced and then we have proof of six months of receipt. Um, or at least we have a divorce decree. If we're not looking to use any income and you're just divorced, no, no, you know, we're not looking for the child support to help you qualify. We're not looking for maintenance to help you qualify. We can just qualify you based on your own earnings. Then it's a completely different ballgame. Can you talk about when is a good time to refinance? So the general rule, or as customers always tell me, oh, if I can't drop down a percent, it doesn't make sense to refinance. That's not always true. There's a lot of different reasons people refinance, and it's not always and not only to lower the interest rate. I just refinanced my own house from 3.75 to 3% on a 30-year fixed. And most people going by their rule why would I refi from you know 3.75 to 3%? Well, just the sheer interest savings was $142 a month. So to me, 100% worth it. I'll take it as my 3% rate, I'll pay the house off and I'm not ever doing another mortgage again. I had another customer earlier this year, their credit score was only 680 when they were buying the home. And at the time of closing, the PMI, the private mortgage insurance for not having 20% equity, so they didn't have 20% to put down, the PMI that they got at that credit score was $283 a month. That's a lot of money per month that's just wasted. <clears throat> From the time of closing, and the only reason the client had that credit score is he never had any derogatory credit. He just didn't really have established credit. So then we gave him a mortgage. Now he's got a big mortgage payment to pay every single month. His ability to repay that payment and pay it on time is going to continue to drive his credit score higher and higher. Now I refinanced him. Even though his interest rate did not go down a point, his interest rate savings ended up being half a point. But his PMI went from $283 to $98 because of where his credit score went up. So it's not always only about that. Sometimes, you know, somebody may buy a home with only 5% down, but in the next 12 months, they notice that their sales around them at 20 and $30,000 or maybe more of the exact same type of home or the exact same type of townhome like theirs. That means if those sales are there, those are the comparables that will be used on our appraisal for your home. So if you did a home with, you know, and you bought it with only 5% down, you may now be at 10 or 15% down, which is also going to bring down your PMI considerably. So there's a lot of different reasons to refinance. One of my customers right now refinanced her into a slightly higher interest rate because she was coming off of a 15-year fixed. We did it because she was concerned because her commission part of her income was going away. She got a better salary, but the commissions that were sometimes really high were going away. So she wanted to refinance to a 30-year fixed to ensure a lower monthly payment. Her interest rate only went up slightly. But what we ended up doing is a cash-out refi, getting rid of her car payment and her credit card. Her car was at 5%. Her credit card was at 17%. I put her at a three and a quarter interest rate and improved her overall monthly cash flow by $1,400. 
So she's no longer in a position to have to worry about anything. And we got rid of a 20 some thousand dollar credit card at 17%. Wow. That is amazing difference. Yeah. You know, so it sounds very much like this would be a really good time for everyone to talk to a loan officer just to kind of see where they're at, regardless of whether they, you know, refi or buy a house now, just to kind of check out what they need to change or, or that sort of thing. What, let me ask you, are all loan officers the same? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, every single loan officer isn't the same. And I always say everyone isn't, you know, trained the same. Everyone doesn't know the same stuff. You know, I've been doing this for 18 years, so I've come in contact with every kind of buyer, you know, the one flying around the country on their private jets, you know, buying a million five, you know, second home in Maui asking me to finance it in 25 days because they're doing a family trip out there, you know, to the first time home buyer buying their $86,000 condo, you know, in displays, just, you know, trying to qualify. You know, I work with everyone the same way because I absolutely love what I do. And it's just so rewarding when you, you know, you get that testimonial that all of a sudden some Yelp thing messages me, thank you so much for your help. We never thought we could do this and stuff like that. But you know, right now, obviously, the stay-at-home order, loan officers are really available right now, unless they're just sitting there doing refi, refi, refi. Maybe they wouldn't answer all calls, but it never hurts. It's a free consultation. No one should be charging you to talk to you. Um, the places that you're not going to get the best phone calls from right now, and it's not their fault, um, is the big, you know, big box lenders, you know, Chase, Wells Fargo's Bank of America, wonderful companies. I work directly for Wells Fargo Home Mortgage for 13 years. Um, just right now, they're absolutely inundated. Um, the amount of phone calls coming in for refinances, you know, the people that have lost their jobs, they're on furlough, or maybe they're not even receiving unemployment yet. And they're trying to go into forbearance on their mortgages. So, you know, they're not late on their payments. They're just trying to not pay a couple of months. They're absolutely inundated. So if you know someone or you want to contact me and go over options or even, you know, discuss what could be a possibility for you to buy in the future, or if there is a way to possibly save you money monthly now with a refinance, I'd be more than happy to do that. And, um, you know, everyone, for the most part, loan officers can all pull rates, pull pricing, figure out what you can or can't qualify for. You know, is everyone going to advise you the same way? No. But a lot of times, you know, customers have their own accountants. They have their own financial planners who they have retirements with. I always tell them, you know, this is what I recommend based on what you're telling me. I always want to know what are your goals and objectives with this property? You know, somebody who's telling me, oh, you know what? We get relocated with work every three to five years or somebody that tells me, you know, this is my starter home or the next person says we've already owned two homes. You know, we now have four kids. This is where we're going to stay until they're done with, you know, high school and college. I'm going to have completely different conversations with each one of those people based on what they told me their goals and objectives are with the home. And I will make different suggestions for them. What advice would you give to someone who um, does not have good credit and the best things that they can do to help themselves get into a position to be able to buy a home? Well, first, um, having bad credit, I always say is a very relative term because I've had customers who call me be like, you know, my credit's not perfect. I have all this student loan debt and I pull credit. It's like a 780. I'm like, why do you think your credit's bad? Oh, all my debt. So people really think because they have debt, it's bad credit. That doesn't mean it's bad credit. Bad credit means you have debt that you don't pay. 
if you have credit card debt, you could have a $20,000 credit card balance. As long as you pay the minimum payment on time, it is good for your credit. You are building credit. You are showing the creditors your ability to repay a debt in a timely manner. Don't be late. I tell that to everyone. Um, the, the best thing is still to have your credit pulled and have someone actually review it for you. Because what you're going to find on the internet is a lot of mixed information on what's important, what isn't. I've had customers call me before. I don't pay my collections because I heard it doesn't matter. I go, it kind of does because you have like a 500 credit score. It pay, you know, it counts. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we don't have to use certain medical collections and things to count those payments against you, but they are still negatively affecting your credit score every single month. Uh, the biggest ones I always see that I don't know what it is with the disputes between Comcast and the consumer and the, you know, AT&T and Verizon. It's a principle. They're arguing about whatever the bill is. And they're like, I'm not paying you. What the consumer doesn't realize, you don't pay them. They put it on your credit. And every single month it dings your credit. Sometimes that $142 Verizon bill may just be better off to be paid and not have to deal with what's going to happen to your credit later when you plan to buy. And the, and the thing is, credit scores being low don't only hurt you when you're trying to buy a house. They hurt you on your interest rate when you get a car, your credit cards. Everything is affected by that credit score. So I can't stress enough. If you have a doctor bill that you have no ability to pay, you know, I don't make a lot of money. I'm on unemployment right now, but there's that bill coming. If you don't pay it, if you don't respond to them, you will go into collections. I tell everyone, call the doctor. You know, I've had customers who've been paying off their, you know, hospital bill for five years. They're sending them $25 a month, $50 a month, but they're not in collections. Their credit has not been adversely affected by a decision to just not answer their phone and not pay a bill. And some of these bills are small. I understand somebody was in a car accident or somebody had cancer and there's $100,000 worth of medical bills. That's a different story. We probably, you know, they would have to be advised otherwise. But on average, you know, the credit scores are so, so important. There are still options to help you buy. But I always tell everyone it's just really important to pay your payments pay them on time and continue to make sure that credit score is going up. If you come into a situation where you're having a hard time, there's a lot of these um, income-based repayment plans with the student loans. If you don't make enough money, a lot of these student loans let you um, not pay anything. I have one client on $172,000 worth of student loans. She only makes like 32 or 34,000 annually. She's currently only paying like, I think a couple dollars a month. I swear, I think it's $7 if, I, if I'm going off of memory. That's all she's paying because they determined based on her income and the amount of this debt, she has no ability to repay. But as of, I think, April or May 1st, she's going to go to $0 to have to pay them because she can't afford to pay the debt. There's things you can work out with the creditors. I just always advise that up front. There's a lot of great information mm -hmm. here for everyone out there. You know, if anyone has any questions uh, for you, uh, how would they be able to get a hold of you? The best way to reach me is on my cell phone at 847-224-1366. Otherwise, if you just Google Joanna White at keymortgage.com, or if you just put in Joanna White Key Mortgage, it's in Schaumburg, Illinois. 
that's the main corporate office. My information, my headshot, everything pops up right there with all my contact info. So my email address will be there, my website, everything. Now, are, and you're licensed to provide these services for people in Illinois or outside of the state? Um, my license is for Illinois, but I also um, we're licensed in a couple other states. So I also do Wisconsin and Florida. Okay. But yeah, we, we're licensed. You know, I have the federal NMLS ID number. So, you know, I've been checked by the FBI and fingerprinted and everything else. <laughs> and if I ever get to travel again, I also have global entry. So I don't stand in line. Oh, yes, <laughs> we do, too. We do, too. <laughs> well, Joanna, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been really, really informative for us and for our listeners. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. We want to wholeheartedly thank you, our listeners, for joining us today and for listening to Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. And we hope that by listening to this episode, it was not only beneficial for your life, but also your relationship. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive coming up in October, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.